welcome to the Truck and Driver podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin and I'm joined today by... Matt Island. Yeah, finally. I've been trying to tie this hey. one up for about a, um, a week or two. In fact, I've had quite a few people saying they're available to do podcasts and things in one way or another. I haven't been because I've been, well, the whole last week I was spent every night working on cars until about midnight uh, trying to sort out the um, one that I'm reshelling because my car got written off on the M40. Uh, my, my blue Cavalier reshelling it into a black one but, uh, and I'm down in London this week I've just got to Sutton because uh, I'm back in the office and I've been tearing about the place going to various um, places so it's good to light, line up stuff again but you've been on all sorts of adventures as well before I go on about what I've been up to we'll start off with your stuff because just when we last spoke you were away on some adventure abroad to some uh, random countries which that people wouldn't normally go to, uh, Albania being one of them, I believe. Yes, uh, so I took, well, we took four dogs for the Montenegrin police force to Podgorica, which is the capital of Montenegro, and then uh, came back via Albania with a ferry across to Italy and back home again empty. So that was quite a quite an adventure. Um, you've never been to Montenegro before or, or Albania, so... Um, they were they were definitely worth a visit. Although Albania was a lot tamer than what I expected, I thought it was going to be a lot rougher, sort of road wise and sort of people wise, gen, you know, generally and the driving stand and whatnot. But it was actually all very sort of civilized and mm, yeah, quite well, calm. Not that I want to start off the podcast by getting into highly dodgy political territory and things, but it seems that a lot of the people coming over on those boats in the channel were from Albania. And I always thought, I was like, Albania? I mean, that's like, they play, they've got football teams playing in the Champions League and stuff. There's like, that's hardly, you know, some Far Eastern war-torn, you know, hellhole or anything. I was like, it's, you know, it's just your standard Eastern Bloc country. Yeah, and that kind of backs up what I thought about, what I thought that Albania was probably all right, you know. I will... I, I will point out there are genuine actual shanty towns there. Um, there's a town called Skodor, I think it is, which is probably not pronounced anything like that. But as you come around mm. what's classified as the Ring Road, there was a, there's a proper full-on gypsy site, but there's also an actual full-on shanty town as well. And I right. believe it is Europe's poorest country. And um, in particular areas like that, it it really does show. It's kind of. It reminded me a bit of Russia where you've got the haves and the have-nots mm-hmm. and the haves literally have it all and the have-nots really, really don't. I mean, we came in from the border at Montenegro, weren't sure how long the border was going to take because never done it before. And uh, the ferry sails at 10 o'clock at night. So I thought, right, we'll, we'll have a bit of a lay-in. We'll trundle to the border, leave ourselves plenty of time to get through, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, as uh, soon as we're out of Montenegro, drive the... 50 metres or whatever it is to the Albanian side. And the chap there obviously sees the van with uh, pictures of dogs and whatnot. And he's more interested in showing us pictures of his Rottweiler than actually doing any sort of customs work or anything. Quick show the passports and we're through straight away. But as you left the border, there was a few few houses here and there. It was all pretty quiet. Um, the scenery's quite nice. Then there's just this gigantic hotel. And it was just like... the the gaudiest, most disgusting sight of someone who's clearly got a load of money from somewhere and thought, well, this will look great if I put loads of horrible little water gardens and and that in the garden. And it was just like, you've given someone 10 million quid who's had nothing before and they think, well, this is how to look fantastic. And it was, um, there was that. And then you turn around and there's just all these like 
old other houses with people with no windows in, but still got the washing out and stuff like that. So it was just a real, a real, real contrast. Um, but the people were really, really friendly, and it was just, it, yeah, it was, it was quite a pleasure. I, you know, sort of happily go back there as such. I don't, don't know if I ever will, but yeah, it was. Um, again, not wanting to get too political, I can kind of, you can kind of see in a way what some people are getting away from, but then it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, I say Syria, I mean, the poor place at the moment, same as Turkey, but, um, you know, as a hypothesis, it's not a war-torn, like I say, it's not a war-torn, far-flung destination as such, but it is definitely struggling. I mean, a lot of the former Eastern Bloc countries have come on leaps and bounds, you're talking like Croatia, Lithuania, places like that, Ukraine up until last year, you know. Tell you what, tell you what, I've, I've actually seen quite a few Ukrainian cars on the road now, and what I've noticed with them, they've got red indicators like American cars. Oh, Is that, I've never really noticed that. Well, what I thought, well, what, I, what occurred to me was that a lot of cars go missing out the United States and end up <laughs> in the Far East and things, and, you, and American cars have got red indicators, they don't have orange. And I was yeah, thinking true. it was it's like Volkswagen Jettas, which is a very American car. They like mm-hmm. them, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if that I wonder if the, those Ukrainian cars have originally come from America, and somebody's somebody's it. missing it because I was like, that's weird. Those aren't like European lights at all. Wild assumptions there, but I was like, hmm, I'm sure they I mean, have I, orange indicators in Europe. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. But it's, it also backs up, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I think it is. Um, back in the 90s, when we had the Larder, Reavers and, and Nevers and whatnot, the Reaver, I think it was, was the most stolen vehicle in the UK because they got sold to the Russian crews on the ships who took them back home to sell them for spares. But hey, but Whether that's true or not, but the, I don't know. But. I, I watched a documentary on YouTube about Lada recently, and they were still making the Reva up until like insanely recently. <laughs> yeah, well, a great car. Yeah, that, that's that's for anybody that doesn't know. That's a really square, boxy Lada that everybody used to make jokes about back in the early nineties because you could buy a brand new one. I always remember the advert. It was. And the, the advert, it was Archers was the ladder dealer, and you would get a song on the radio, which would go to Archers for ladder, and three nine nine five you could buy a brand new ladder for. I mean, it had like the, the switch gear on it, like the indicator and wiper stocks were like plastic cutlery. It was yeah. that. Was that <laughs> but was t- that based on a Fiat? Uh, a Fiat three one. Yeah, a Fiat from the nineteen sixties, but they were still making them in the making them in the nineties. And you know, some like old economy minded people wanted a brand new car. It's like yeah, you could buy a three year old Astra or a Golf or something, but no, brand new Lada three nine nine five. The reason that they had to stop selling them eventually was because of our carburetors, and uh, they had to fit catalytic converters on them, so they wouldn't pass the post nineteen ninety two emissions. That's why they um had to stop selling uh, the ladder the ladder Riva because otherwise they kept it. I mean they kept it going for many many years afterwards. They still were running about everywhere in Russia, you know. Yeah, the the ladder people I know that have had them mm. said they're really reliable and you know everyone would joke about them, but you know come especially come the winter time they'd always start. Whereas a lot of other cars wouldn't because they're they're sort of built for that. Collectors eat them now. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're certainly getting rare. Yeah, I'd love to have one, but um, I've got enough projects and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, just going back to Albania as well, like with the with the sort of keeping it on a truck theme as such. Um, like a lot of the trucks were obviously older working ones. Um, I mentioned to see, I think it's one Turbo Star, several SK and even NG Mercedes, 
a few MANs, and the same with Montenegro, although it's slightly more modern there. Um, it's still quite a few is, older. Is Montenegro, Montenegro because Montenegro is like a tiny little state jammed in between like Italy and Albania, isn't it? And it's, is that not some sort of like tax haven sort of thing? That is it not quite? There's not a lot of money kind of floating about, floating about there. Because it is, I mean, it's I, not I, a huge amount. I couldn't point it to you on a map exactly because it is absolutely tiny. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's jammed in on the Adriatic, so you drop south through Croatia into Montenegro, and then you can either go carry on south into Albania, or I think you can go across into sort of like uh, Serbia, Macedonia, that sort of way. So it's the other side of the, the Adriatic to Italy, but it's kind of there. And I think it's it's almost like a bit of a hidden gem. Um, it's got some fantastic beaches, which I think a few rich people go to, but not very many. And I know the Rolling Stones did a show down there in a 2000 and something, because I was working at Trans Am at the time. And they did a sh- I know they did a show down there. It's not EU, but they have adopted the Euro, which is a bit odd. Um, yeah, I'm we, just having a look. Down- I'm just having a look now. We I just got- Googled it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was strange because like, we went from, because the way we went in, uh, we went down to uh, Kotor, around the lake. Uh, you got a little ferry across the lake to cut a bit of the road out. And then you head down to sort of Budvar on the beaches. And then you climb all the way up the hill. All up, up up the mountain, so we went from the from the seaside as such up back into the snow line, and then drop across the top of that and drop down into Podgorica, um, which was quite a quite a nice city. Again, really friendly people. So the dogs have been donated by the British, I think, government or somebody or other to the Montenegrin police force. So when we got to the border, the police were expecting us, although they weren't staying there, they were going to the to the, the city as such. And they were so pleased to see And whilst I was dealing with all the paperwork and getting the agent sort all that out and blah, 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 they insisted on getting the dogs out. They even went and got a massive big <laughs> load of marijuana chucked underneath one of, the, one of the customs guys' cars to see how good the search dogs really were because they were trained in narcotics, guns and money, I think it was. And apparently that border that we came through was notorious for drugs running from Albania northwards and into Europe so they could really they don't have their own dogs at that border but they could really do with some so I think they were probably hoping that we couldn't get any further and they'd get to keep the dogs I don't know but they yeah we they were really really friendly people um they loved having a play about the dogs the dogs loved it I just wanted to get going and, and get them back in the get them back in the van before they ran off or ran off with the dogs but it was really it was really good and it was um it was just so nice to get down to somewhere you know that I hadn't been before yeah, brilliant trip. Really, really good. Mm. Now, it looks nice. looks nice. The first hits you get in Google is all about holidays and things. Population 619,000, so it is tiny. Little country. There you go. There you go. You've learned some things, people. You've learned some stuff about Montenegro. Yeah. Where it, where it is, the population, is it worth going on holiday, you know, and um, its role in it's rolling European drug smuggling as a gateway into Europe. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and they take the euro, so um, yeah. you haven't got to worry you haven't got to worry about changing money. Wait. Oh, well, that, that's good then. So that was you out doing your, your dog delivery and things. You've been driving any lorries and anything like that in an interest? Yeah, yeah. So I got back from that, and it was looking a bit quiet on the uh, on the work front because um, sh- we talked about Sugar Beet before. That's all sort of 
it's still going on, but it's just pretty much all of it's getting rejected and going into AD plants is just rotten and one thing or another. So I was a bit sort of stumped as such. And a chance conversation my girlfriend had with a lady from driver hire who she trained last year when we were both doing driver training and just messaged asking about work. Oh, I've got a day tomorrow on a rigid if you want it. She said, oh, I don't want to do that. So I said, oh, I'll do it. You've got nothing else to do. So set myself up the agency, blah, blah, blah. And um, off I went to Lombard Shipping in Ipswich. Because it's a good hour from my house down to Ipswich. And I thought, oh, God, you know, what time am I going to be starting, you know, tomorrow? So, uh, yeah, being for 8 o'clock, oh, I can handle that. So um, in, in we went for 8 o'clock, did, did a, you know, uh, induction and whatnot, which wasn't too... Seriously stressful, uh, just showing what, what's what and where and where. And uh, off I went on sort of like palletways stuff. I had to end up with a couple of days on a rigid. And as soon as they found out I've got my ADR, they're like, all oh, right, rubbing their hands together. So I started booking a few days in the next sort of couple of weeks. I've been in there today uh, and yesterday. And it's the first time I've had to deal with uh, deliveries on an app rather than you know, oh, that's POD, yeah, that, oh, that's paperless POD, stuff. Yeah, yeah they're all trying. Everybody, yeah. they're all trying to go paperless. Uh, all, all the different places and that now. Yeah, technology is is great. The the scourge of paper documents that we've been using for hundreds of years. Let's go electronic. Does it depend? Does it depend on an internet signal to work, or is it kind of stand alone? Because I've heard people have problems like when you've got quarry stuff and you're trying to get people to sign for stuff in the middle of nowhere, and then it won't upload or and it won't work. And stuff, but I suppose it, it it just depends. I've never encountered, I've never had to do uh, electronic PODs. Yeah, what was it? I mean, what was it? What was it like being on a, a rigid? The only rigids I drive are tippers usually, which um yeah, it was sort of it was different quite ones. a change. Yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's quite hard work, you know. You've got to have a lot of respect for the guys that drive rigids and do multi drop every day because the thing yeah. a lot of them have got ridiculous tail swings off the back of them. They're not particularly comfortable to drive, and you're in and out of all sorts of places, uh, residential areas, tight little roads and spots every day. You know, there's a lot easier work out in a lot of Arctics than there is in some of these rigids. What was it? Was it all right? Like, uh, what was it? What was the money like with driver hire? It was. I um, but I used to do driver hire work sort of 2011, 2012, when I first started. And um, the money wasn't the best back then, but I mean everything's kind of changed now. I would guess, and they're quite keen to get drivers out there. Yeah, the money's the money's pretty good, and especially being ADR, I think you get more for that. The trucks themselves, they're not massive lengthwise; they're, they're quite sort of compact, uh, which is quite good. But a Mercedes Antos, I no idea who designed it, but they clearly have a serious addiction to coffee because I think there's something like six cup holders in there. I think good, if not well, seven. you know, you can just... ne- you can never have enough cup holders. That's a good thing yeah. because if you yeah. don't, you know, there's other trucks that don't have enough. Looking at yeah. you, Renault, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that sort of mystified me a bit. Um, the lock, because I've driven a couple of them. What the, my first mirrorless Mercedes was actually an Antos last week, but and, it was a rigid. Really? A mirrorless so, um, Antos. I thought they'd stopped making the Antos, and everything was just Actros now. Well, this is a 71 plate, so whether it's... Well, I thought it was before whether... that. I thought, they'd, I thought they'd bend the Antos name off and just said everything's Actros now. Oh, obviously. Oh, I don't, obviously I, not, because you got... Well, there was the Antos was always like distribution, rigid type stuff, but I think they decided the range was too complicated, so they were going to just have um, 
what's the other one? The Arox and the, the Actros. That, that's interesting. So you were out to put a mirrorless rigid. So I had a mirrorless one. I had a mirrored one the first day, a mirrorless the second day, which, and again, obviously being a mirrorless, you've then got all the touchscreen stuff in the truck as well. So figuring that out, um, which didn't take too long, luckily. But it was, yeah, it was. It, it's quite good, actually, because it's not, it's not mega uh, intensive work as such. You're not... You know, I haven't got round and still had 20 drops to try and get off and never, ever going to do them sort of thing. It's it's pretty reasonable, you know, stop and have me break. And they're all really nice people there as well. I'm yet to meet anyone who's not at Lombards. Uh, there might well be someone, but I was chatting to another one of their drivers who's full-time and been there, I think he said a couple of months, and he said sort of said the same thing. And it's just yeah, just a really pleasant and enjoyable place to do a do a few days and yeah it's been quite an eye-opener and getting back with a tail lift see i it's been years and years since i've had to deal with a tail lift uh the odd time at trans am but not that many and um i didn't realize it was an offense to have it powered up whilst you're driving so you've got to make sure you've got the key out you what? whether that's dry uh, well according to one notice i saw now whether that's Driver rumor. I don't know. Good. But it, it, rewind. Kind of, it's, it's, how is it? How is it an offence? Really? I would. Well, that's what I started to wonder and question. But I suppose if there's power to it, could it malfunction and start to fold out? I don't know. Um, again, it, whether it's whether there's truth in it or not, I don't know. But mm. it's. I sort I sort of bore it in mind and just made sure that I was taking the key out and mm. and not having it powered up. But it was it was quite a difference. Like my very first day, I think I I either had six or eight drops, can't remember exactly, and I went about a mile from the depot, I think it was, to get all... And it was just quite strange. It's just not something I've done for... Or ever, really. That All the distribution work I've done years ago was always sort of long distance. So to be really lo- local is... is I've, yeah, I've done, I've done quite a variety of pallet work and rigids and that. Mainly it was time when I'd... People wouldn't let you out in an Arctic, even though you had the license. So you were kind of building experience and like eighteen tunners and and things like stuff like that. And it was hard work because you would get uh, you would be dashing about. There was no time to stop during the during the day and things. You'd be quite often putting it on break while you were unloading some of the bigger stuff and all that to try and get a shift on, just to try and get it get it all done. You were, uh, I mean, that's going back a good few years years now. But it was uh, it wasn't um an easy job anyway, but when I actually got into the Arctic and started doing trunking and trailer changeovers, you know, great big, great big comfy sleeper cab sitting high up going down the road, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. But then again, yeah. that, you, you've got to you've got to kind of earn your spurs and go and do harder jobs, you know, go and grind away and do other stuff like that, I reckon, because then you can appreciate it when you get some of the sort of easier jobs and the cream. You've got to do some, you know, difficult stuff. Yeah, you can't start at the top. You have to work your way up. So, um, and it's, yeah, it's it's just nice for for a variety and just something slightly different. And it's handy being, you know, having, having your name in with driver hire because uh, it's just another one because... Yeah, it's looking pretty quiet out there. Um, speaking to a friend of mine, he's got another friend who runs a company on fridges, and he's apparently just laid five drivers off now. Whether I know he's got a mix of casuals, self-employed, and full-time, so where, he might have just got rid of sort of five casuals. I don't know, but I've heard he's got seven trucks stood up with no work, and another another person he he'd gone on to like a three-day working week with his work colleagues, and even. I think this week only had one day's work, so it's it's 
Where are, where are they based about? Uh, you know, because well, they're, they're, they're down in Kent. Right so, in Kent. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. like you say, you wouldn't expect fridges to go quiet, you know, because like the food network kind of just keeps rolling no matter what. I wonder what's going on there. I, would, I wonder if like, other parts of the country have got quieter. Anybody listening, let us know. Are you quiet? Are you busy? What, what, what? Email us contact at truckanddriver.co.uk or doogie.rankin at roadtransport.com. Let us know. Post, you know, messages. I would be interested to know, yeah, because that's alarming. Seven trucks. I mean, that's like, you know, you can't have seven trucks parked up for a long time and all that, because no doubt there'll be Euro 6 quite modern things as well that are probably not all bought and paid for. So, you know, I would uh, still quickly be racking, racking things up. No, I, I hadn't heard anything that um, work was quiet or anything like that. I haven't been asking about you because my job's just changed and I'm now editor at large. So um, I'm starting to, like, charge about the country a lot more and be less sort of desk-based now that Andy's starting. And I'm, I'll be looking to get out and do some uh, driving in various different trucks. But, you know, well, hopefully I can get some driving work. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, funny enough, when when we went off, guess job, down, folks. <laughs> when we went down to Montenegro, um, we left on the Friday morning, and it got to about what was it about six o'clock Friday morning. And we were south of Ipswich on the A12, heading sort of towards Colchester, and it was just empty. Whereas normally there'd be truck upon truck upon truck, especially coming out of Felixstowe, it was almost like a it was like a Sunday morning. It was it was eerily quiet on the A12. It was really strange. Well, I went and visited um, Peter Davies today, uh, the truck photography legend, author, still knocking it out of the park. Peter's 83 now, and he's still writing great stuff for Trucking Driver all the time, not to mention he does stuff for um, classic and vintage commercials as well. Uh, but I popped in to see Peter. He sadly lost his wife, Jilly. Uh, they were married for 56 years, uh, and she passed away at Christmas, so... Terrible for, for poor Peter, but it was lovely to pop in and see him today. And because it was such a lovely day, it was like sort of 15 degrees and blue sky. We went out to the A421 and we actually spent a couple of hours there photographing trucks. I put the first little batch up on Instagram and there was there was a lot of trucks coming coming down there. Um, that was pretty busy. I waited for it. We got a photograph of pretty much everything. I even got an ERF ECX, which I was delighted with. But we waited and waited and waited because I was like, right, to get one of everything, didn't get an Iveco S-Way. I got a Stralis at the start, got a Euro Cargo. The no S-Way came down at all. I was most disappointed. But I t- tell you what, it, there, are, there are so many new MAN TGXs in the road. 71 plates, 22 plates. There were rakes of them. I'd say they were second only to dafts and popularity of what we saw today. So um, I know that MAN were, were kind of struggling to get trucks out for a bit, but it looks like they've managed to get a massive glut of them in, in the last the last few months. But we, we saw some uh, nice stuff. We got a good few beeps and a good few waves and everything, and the photos were coming out really well because the sun was at our back and it was hitting the trucks perfectly. And I was having a scan through quite a few of them. A lot of naughty boys not wearing their seatbelts. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's another one, there's another one. Oh, you know what's what's kind of weird though? You know how they decided to put red seat belts in trucks, but but they also make everybody wear high vis vests. And if you're wearing an orange high vis vest, a red seat belt's much harder to see. So that's pretty stupid. I'm not surprised. <laughs> To 
go back, I, I, I um, came down yesterday, I went to William Gilder's, the truck stop, and Hollier in Gloucestershire at Tewkesbury. Now, they have just um, expanded the, and updated their truck stop there. They've got brand new facilities. They've got a restaurant and a cafe called The Hut. Uh, and they're, they're also uh, putting in an actual, uh, it's called the Longthorn Steakhouse. So they're putting in like a proper premium restaurant where you can go in and get a steak and it's got a function room upstairs and everything. So, you know, you could probably end up getting married there. I don't know if people wanted to do that. But we're going to do an article in the company and look at things because they're looking to open truck stops in a whole load of different locations. And like Siren Sisters, one of them, and they're all about that sort of part of the world. And they've been trying their bit. They've been trying their best to get what uh, one of them opened, and they've had some problems with like nimbies and ridiculous complaints about the truck stops. You know, it's like three miles for people's houses, and they're complaining about it when they've got absolutely no right to. But hopefully, they'll be able to get their planning permission through for that. So that was a good day. And then I was at uh, Truck East Scania this this morning talking to them about doing some stuff with them. What a market. Uh, Wellingborough. Ah, Wellingborough, right. Yeah, yeah, I was there, and yeah, we're going to be doing something looking at their camera systems because they offer um, like a whole retrofit camera system for like DVS or fours and all that kind of stuff. And they're starting doing a new recycled parts thing as well, where they're like re refurbing uh, parts for Scania's. So we're going to go back and have a look at that. And I, oh well, uh, I also visited the Pit Stop Diner, which is at Lutterworth. So it's right between the M1 and M6, just off the A14. Lovely little roadside diner cafe, which was uh, bought by new owners like about a year ago. People don't know that they're there. Um, so if you're in that area and you want like proper sort of old school grub, go there because that's uh, it's a lot cheaper and, you know, it's authentic uh, roadside cuisine, five-star hygiene rating. Uh, I went and spoke to Lorna there and got a few pictures of it. So that's a little article to go in the next issue of the magazine as well. Of course, then I went down to see Peter and now I'm in London at the office and I tell you, the traffic uh, today, cause when I left, um, Peter lives in Flittick and the sat-nav said to go, normally you'd go down the M1, get on the M25, go round onto the A3 again, Sutton, and the M25 was that jammed up with accidents both ways that it opted to direct me right through London. So I did 20 miles of solid London city traffic to get to Sutton, and it was hideous. I've actually videoed a whole load of it in my GoPro for, for YouTube, because just in the it was mayhem. Like, there's, se- there's certain groups of people and certain types of cars that consistently drive badly, not to mention the little scooters and things, you know. The bigger the SUV, you know, the big- if they've got, like, an Audi Q8 or one of those gigantic Mercs or, you know, a Range Rover, that you can guarantee they'll be, you know, ever more aggressive in trying to get your spot on the road. It's uh, It was mental. Like, the way people just push out and cut across lanes and everything... Couple of guys in a stinking old golf and nearly took the side out my poor Vectra. It was uh, absolute. I can't believe how busy London was. It was. I don't know if it was because it was half term or because the motorways were blocked or if it's just like that all the time. But I tell you, I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't drive a bus or something around London or or anything like that. Yeah, there's a thing actually. You, you've got your bus licence now. You could go and drive some coaches. There you go. That's like another string to your bow. You, you could, have you considered doing that? Or do you need, like, CPC for it to go and do it for money? <laughs> In a word, 
no, I'm not doing it. Sod that. <laughs> rather do, rather drive the rigids, you know. Well, dep- I'd rather drive a rigid, it, yeah. It depends how stinking the rigid work does it need to be. Because t- the worst job I ever had driving lorries was not long after I moved back up the road. And I had my Class 2 and I had my ADR at the time. But um, I could only get out in seven and a half tonners. And the job, it was for SCS delivering sofas. Holy shit. That was hard going, like, because you'd go out, you'd have, like, a, a driver's mate who was, like, kind of their experienced guy, and they knew all about how to lift the sofas and get them through the doorways and everything like that. So the first guy I was with the first day, really experienced guy, and he was sound, and he, they've got, like, no skin on their knuckles because they look like they've been, like, you know, bare-knuckle boxing all the time because you're constantly smacking your knuckles and door frames and everything. And we were taking sofas up flights of steps. We were taking them up in lifts into high-rise flats in Glasgow and everything. And by the end of the day, I was absolutely done. I was, like, straight to bed at the end of it. And then the next day, like, I mean, he was sound, that guy. It was hard work. And then I walks up to him. I'm like, all right, Jerry, how's it going? Where are we going today? He's like, oh, no, you're not out with me today, pal. It's a different guy every day. Then I got this, like, uh, what in Scotland you would call a Ned you know, or a chav, as it were. And he was, oh, I remember, he was still, like, wrecked for the weekend. So he was, like, rough as any and drinking hunters of Red Bull, and he was, like, quite intolerant, but he was sitting with both his feet up on the dash, like, farting and, like, letting rip. And uh, these sofas, you would get sofas where they were supposed to measure them, and then they physically wouldn't fit in the house. And you'd be there for half an hour trying to get it in, and there's, like, thinking about taking windows out and everything. Oh my! And I did a week on that, and it was for like eight pound an hour or something. And I'd got I'd gone from like the previous month being the editor of Total Vauxhall magazine and having like a cushy life sitting in the office and writing shit about Cavaliers and everything. Gone into gone into that. That was that was my introduction to the world of lorry driving. And like ever since that, I did two weeks of them in total. I think. And after that, I refused to go back because <laughs> I was like, then, and I was like, enough's enough. Get me. And thankfully, a timber merchant took, uh, gave me a couple of shifts and a twenty-six ton. It was there was like rear steering Iveco Stralises, so at least it was like a proper lorry. You know, it was like a something with like you know twenty-two and a half inch wheels on it. And after that, that was like delivering timber and and the truck and everything. That was hard going as well, but that was like proper. And after that, they. Because I turned up and, you know, I, I could speak coherently and uh, didn't smash the lorry, they kept asking me back after that, and I never had to go back to the seven and a half tunnels again. But I, that was that was the worst lorry driving job ever. Sorry, SCS. Well, not sorry, actually, SCS. It was a, it was a nightmare. So it was <laughs> genuinely, genuinely hard work. If you're somebody who goes out and does that all day, every day, week after week, fair play to you, like, because I would just be crippled after doing that that is that is hardcore and that's only seven and a half ton work you know it's uh although to be fair the seven and a half tonners the bodies on them were that big they were bigger than some 18 tonners and i had like i mean seven and a half tonners are nasty things to drive usually they've got rock hard suspension on them there's like no space in the cab at that time they were all like six speed manuals as well so you were and the automatics were even worse because it was the early generation of autos and actually, one of the worst trucks I've ever driven was an MAN TGL for UK Mail. That was a seven and a half tonner with an auto box, and it was atrocious. I refused to go back there after that as well because the the gearbox was just shocking. It was unusable. 
Uh, uh, so, yeah. Uh, How it's changed, because um, a, a, quite a regular discussion as well was the seven and a half tonners of like the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s. And when Mercedes had the, the 814 and the 817, um, with a ginormous cab, comfortable, and just real road rockets as well. And so many people have got so many fond memories of them things. I know I certainly have, and well, I've banged on about... Well, they, about didn't have, they didn't have speed limiters until well into the 2000s, no. so they could, yeah, like, no. you know, outside lanes 70 mile an hour. Yeah, once you're gone. No, you had the Iveco Euro Cargo, which was sort of all right, but you would smack your thumb your thumb on the indicator stock, putting it into fifth gear, because the gear lever was that close, and obviously bits of plastic fell out. The Mercedes Atigo was... Pr- and you had the DAF LF as well. I think I remember the DAF was kind of probably the most comfortable, but I seem to remember I liked the Atigo best, and all the MANs were automatics, and they were... An absolute riot to drive. That they were useless bloody things, and that was kind of one of the because I was like quite dead set against. I was dead set against automatics for quite a long time until I drove. Uh, I went to Drummond Distribution and I finally got out in a Volvo FH when I shift gearbox. But having said that, those trucks were ex Stobart. They were like this bad batch of um, version three FHs, which weren't. They were built somewhere weird. They weren't built in the normal factory or something, and they were notoriously bad. And the iShift gearbox was the only good thing about it as well. The dashboard was like you remember all these alarming warnings coming up on the dash, and it would come up with a symbol and things. You'd be like phoning the mechanic, right? There's a red warning on the dash, and it looks like a snorkel spraying water out the top of the cabs on the screen. What does that mean? Doesn't matter. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. Phone them up. Right, it's saying the battery lights come on and it's not charging anymore and the lights are getting really dim. What should I do? Ah, I'll be fine. Just ignore it. Phoning them back. I remember once the power was going down and down and down and the lights got dimmer and dimmer and the thing actually cut out and I lost the power steering for a second and then I was like, uh oh, uh oh, and then it went boom and everything came back to life and it started going again. Yeah. Fun times. It's all coming, f- yeah, all oh. coming flooding back to me. But I mean, apart from <laughs> apart from that, the gearbox is beautiful. Remember, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like the first time out in that Stralis as well. That was the first time driving like an automatic, a twelve-speed box. And like the first junction, like the first roundabout. As soon as you pull out the place, you're like, right, I'll just pull out in front of this traffic now. Nope. <laughs> you're like, Pulls out, into, pulls out into the traffic two seconds later, you get people blasting their horn at you and everything like that. Oh, this didn't move. Yeah. <laughs> you know, strange. Yeah. Th- those early automatics were hard work, like, you know. Like, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, far- the first, my first one, first auto, it was about 2006, I drove a DAF auto, 12-speed, I think it was, and it was just oh, yeah. shockingly, shockingly bad. Oh, yeah. And it was just... Yeah, that really put me off because, um, like going back to the seven and a half tonners, because they're all manual as well. You could, you could really get a good lick on. And um, I'd have to ask my good friend Ben Sheldrake. He's got a real uh, penchant for, uh, for for little big cabs, uh, and, and even a group on Facebook celebrating them, especially when they're um, like the Arctic versions yeah. as, as well. And and uh, he was getting very uh, misty eyed because he. He ran a little MAN, so it must have been a TGL, with a high roof conversion, and he had a DAF forty five, and he had a he, he had an Atigo as well, which was, had a full on 
airbrush job on it. And that was when he had that when I was working for Camax and I had my little Mercedes 817, which um, a yeah, twin bunk sleeper. That was a six, I think it was an eight speed box in it. And it just like and my first, my first European trips in them. It was just, just wonderful. But yeah, the, the first Matt, uh, auto I seem to remember, I can't remember driving the one before that was this DAF. And it was just, you put your foot down and waited for about a month for it to decide what to oh. do before it would um, yeah, inevitably pull out in front of something. Yeah, that's, when there's been now that's the very nothing. first, that's the very first generation of AS Tronic that the DAFs had. And this was also the version that a few Ford and Alphas had. And they differed. They didn't just have the dial on the dash to put it into gear. They had a little lever on the floor. That's how you knew it was a really early one. Yeah, I remember driving one of them. It was a tipper. Uh, and that would that would not block shift. It would go, it would start in second and take every single gear going up the box. You know, because some of them, like the, like the early MAN Tronics, would take a different selection of gears every time. It'd be like, ah, maybe I'll go one, maybe I'll go up every gear. And then other times it'll be like, ah, maybe I'll try and block shift four gears and then die. You know, you, know, you can't stall an auto. You want a bit, but those early ones were really genuinely hard work. The best early automatic was the Iveco Stralis because Iveco worked with um, ZF on the early boxes, and they weren't perfect, but they were like the best of a bad bunch. And Iveco improved it a lot. Like by the end, by the end of the AS Tronics on the Stralis, they were get they were pretty close to the traction that came after them. Or that they're actually pretty good. Not that anybody really cared by that point because the Stralis was well long in the tooth. But the gearboxes and them, they, they by far and away did the best work with the AS Tronic box, uh, in my opinion anyway. Before the traction came in to, to replace it. Uh, speaking of little big cars, I saw one of Askey's today which was the DAF LF with a big high-roof sleeper cab on it, and it looked like it had an aircon pod on it as well. I think it was like Hatcher that did uh, that conversion yes. on it. A cracking-looking thing. The cab's, like, massive. Yeah, there is there is something cool yeah. to be said that- about those little seven-and-a-half-tunners that uh, do sort of long-distance long distance work. Because some of them, you get air suspension on the front as well now. You know, they're really refined and comfortable. They've come a long way from the days of concrete block suspension that the earlier ones had. Has that ASCII's one got a bit of an unusual body on it? Is it like a sliding? Yeah, uh, it's, it's an unusual. Cool. It's an unusual it's... cut inside her body on yeah. it. I couldn't really describe it too well. I might be able to find it. I don't think I actually got a picture of the bloody thing because my trying to open the camera at the time. <laughs> yeah, but, but yes, it's a really unusual. It's an unusual uh, little so, lorry for like machinery or something. Yeah, yeah it's designed. Yeah, for, but it's got because EST had one potentially two. Of the DAFs like that with the um, with the big the big conversion on it, um, which is ideal really. But they because they were limited for speed, you didn't really you didn't really gain a huge amount because you, you can't put a huge amount of weight on it, and it's just a little bit more manoeuvrable, I suppose, for smaller venues. But that's kind of about it. I mean, years ago, Trans Am did have a couple of seven half tonners, but they just found they were constantly overweight with what the what the crew wanted to put in the back. It was just just wasn't worth bothering with really which is a bit of a shame yeah i mean the big the big advantage for seven and a half tunnels was of course that you got grandfathered rights on it but that went out the door in 1997 so gradually yeah. as time's gone on you know that's 26 years ago now that was when i passed my driving test bloody hell 
Yeah, as time Same as, as time as time's <laughs> gone on, it's become you know less and less sort of value. And of course, seven and a half tonners, they take up the same footprint on the road as like a twelve tonner. So of course, there's yeah. like, there's not you've lost the speed limiter off it and everything like that. Yeah, there's a picture of it there that asking is rigid. Yeah, it's got like a slide. The the curtain side of the whole the whole curtains like the roof will slide right the way forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool got thing. Like it's machinery got machinery or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a headboard on. It's got a headboard on it. Uh, it might not. It might yeah. not actually be a seven and a half tonner. Actually, now I look at it, it might well be uh, a bit bigger than that. Ten. Now that I look at it, yeah, it's got eight stud wheels on it. But no, so you can type in any truck onto Google, and somebody's taken a photo of it somewhere on Flickr. You know, a truck spotter's probably photographed it. It's been snapped about yeah. ten times that truck by various people. But I suppose <laughs> it is unusual. It is unusual. So. Yeah, it is. It does stand out, that's for certain. Speaking of the little big cab stuff, we talked uh, last year, I think it was, about the uh, like mostly Polish vans that are rated at three and a half tonne and are clearly not. And um, this resonated with a Polish friend of mine. I can't remember if we've talked about it or not, but he sent me a few links to... Um, offenders basically uh because in poland if you're anything over three and a half ton you then come into commercial category you know with the similar to what we have in the uk whereas if you're three and a half ton or under you're basically you're free to do what you want and you get a fixed penalty of it's about 80 or 100 quid equivalent thereabouts so so many people will get a seven and a half tonner and downrate it to three and a half ton, <laughs> even though it's overweight, even though it's overweight empty, yeah. and just run the risk. I mean, he sent after listening to me on the podcast, he sent me several links and they're and they're great. And Thomas keeps sending them because they just make me laugh every time. And there's there's one that's a builders merchants have bought an Azuzu something or other. Mm. downrated it and it's got a high ab on it as well and it's got like a <laughs> uh, you know it's got a payload of not even 500 kilos you think well, what's it's but it's it's just so it's cheaper with the fines uh-huh. he sent me one the other day and it's a mercedes vario and that weighed 4.4 oh, ton wow. empty yeah the mercedes yeah. varios are like tanks that was um who yes. was it was it ups that loved them and they would constantly yes. they would use they used them for years and years and years yeah i think yeah, they, they use they, their own body on them don't they yeah, my mate did the aircon on a whole load of them, and actually they had air, they had condensers at the back of the truck, and you couldn't get the condenser. And I remember when I was doing the air conditioning, we had a whole load of jobs on Vario's, and they've got a really distinctive engine noise to them. But I remember like yeah. mo- we had to like move them about. They had like the sliding near side door on them, and these things mm-hmm. were they were like prehistoric, even though they were like relatively yeah. modern. You know, they were like two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Uh, they they were like proper like old school and that's one of those unusual kind of rare vans like the biggest Iveco daily that kind of borders the line between really big van and really little lorry. Yeah. Quite a quite a yeah. rare thing like <clears throat> but I mean yeah with three and a half tonners the the thing the the biggest offender in the UK is without doubt three and a half ton recovery trucks which are bloody useless these yeah. days but it doesn't stop people running about in them because like the weights of cars now you know 20 years ago cars weighed just over a ton so you could get one on there everything now is so much yeah. heavier and you see these ridiculous little recovery trucks they don't even have twin wheels on the back of them it's like single axle Mercs and the uh, uh, Peugeots and yeah. Fiat, Fiat Ducatos and things with Range Rovers and Ford Rangers on the back and everything like that it's like 
holy <laughs> shit. And the, the, these guys, you, the, there's plenty of them going about. I'm like, you know, as you're steering doing anything, you know, is that not a bit light? Yeah. Uh, imagine you probably break yeah. the back on the bloody yeah. thing. It's not going to be long, is it? And it's also not going to be long, I think, before you'll need, you'll need some sort of licence uh, just to drive like a big Range Rover because they're getting that big and heavy. You know, you're going to have to do your seven and a half ton test just to drive your own personal car. <laughs> well, that'd be, I tell you what, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt for some of them the way that they're driving with the place and the bloody things anyway. Yeah, very true. Yeah, why very true. You do, you but yeah, you, why you just stand so up miserable? like a sore thumb as well. <laughs> What's that? You stand up like a sore thumb as well with it, you know, with, with one of these little single wheel car transporters you just yeah because i mean you're, you're just asking for you're trouble basically anything more than like a car saw in the back of it these days you're overweight and you're like massively mm-hmm. overweight even with like a mondeo or something in the back of it the, the very lightest these trucks can weigh is sort of about 1.9 tons which is one so that gets you like 1.6 tons payload and that's one of the super light ones with no winch on it with like two little aluminium ramps going up on it that some of the cab dealers use, which is a car transporter, not a recovery truck. And they're an ultra, yeah. ultra light, but loads of them in that, it's like homemade like steel bodies on them and everything. And they must have like a usable payload of about 800 kilos on them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So uh, it's been a bit. It's been a busy old um, week so far. Here we've got the new issue comes out on Friday, and we are looking to do. Obviously, we've got our bumper issues. We're going to be working on. We've got. Uh, we you've been doing some work for the British issue, and I believe just to round things off for this issue, you mentioned in passing that you'd found another candidate for the British issue. Yes, I have indeed. Um, my mate Andy Beaton sent me a message because I think I can't remember if he listened to this or. I mentioned it to him, and he sent me a photo of one he saw working still yesterday, I think it was, of a Seddon Atkinson. Oh, um, no, that's good, because we'll get... And I, there's like, there's a eight, decent number of ERFs, Foden's, not Seddon yes. Atkinson's, though. No, no, that's exactly what I started thinking. Um, this is an eight-wheeler flatbed day cab with a drawbar. It moves uh, containers about for uh, personal storage. Um, so I contacted them tonight. They're up for it. I'm going to go and see them and photograph it. Um, but, yeah, it got me thinking, I I don't really know of many or any other Sed and Atkinsons still plodding about working sort of daily. I can't really, off the top of my head, I can't think of any of them. Sort of make ERFs almost, uh, you know, um, common. Uh, there, was, there was a company up uh, by Lancaster sort of way, who was running, they had a couple of um, said napkins, late said napkins and drawbar outfits on the blocks because they had cranes on them. But uh, that company, I can't remember the name of them, but I'd inquired to see if they were up for doing something. They're kind of quite big on Iveco's have moved on to them. But A, they weren't up for it, and B, they've parked the thing up now and don't use it anymore. So that was the end of, that, no. the end of um, that. Yeah, I really can't think of many said napkinsons that are still working at all. Um, no. Yeah, there was a guy, there was an owner-driver up our way who had an eight-wheeler tipper, um, which was a late one. I think that was even, that was literally one of the ones that just had the A-badge slapped in the front of it. It was pretty much all Iveco, uh, might have been Tracker yeah. or something like that. I think great-looking, both generations of the Strato were great-looking trucks. The DAF cab, the CabTech version, and of course the later Iveco, um, what was it, the Eurotech and Eurostar version, which was the Strato and the Strato yeah. Cruiser. Uh, great, That's right, yeah. Both of them great looking trucks. Uh, yeah. I know that there's a few of them. Connor Jennings over in Ireland. Him and his mates have bought a few V8 
Euro stars from the continent, like from Italy, and brought them over because they were wanting something different as a classic truck uh, to go and yeah. take to things. And he takes us to Assen and competes in the Decibel contest because, you know, it's the other type of V8. And there's yes. quite a well known, there is a silver one that goes to. Uh, with ETE on it, and it's got like a badge on it that says 500 on the front, um, which yeah. I believe is it's an M11. So I don't, it's not been like retrofitted with a 525 or anything, but that's not a working truck. Ooh, there's a nice I mean, one even, there. On, there's a nice one there on Google with JCB3C on the back of it on Atkinson <clears> Borderer. <throat> nice. Because mm, even traditionally, a lot. Of especially the British stuff, if they're older and working, they tend to be recovery trucks as well. And even can't even can't even think of any that are knocking about yeah. doing that. Well, the, actually, the one I was talking about there with ETE is Evans Truck Sport Engineering, which we featured in the magazine because that's a race car transporter. Yeah. Uh, so I should there know was... that because I wrote the article. I'm thinking, <laughs> and there was one down in Cornwall, but I think that's been retired as well. Was it AR Newport of Cornwall? Had a blue oh, yeah, AR Newport. Yeah, they ran them for many years. Well, the panel commercials down in Cornwall were really big on Seddon Atkinson's. They were a great dealer. The rumour has it that the Seddon Atkinson brand was so strong in Cornwall that when the Iveco Stralis first came in, and obviously they knew that Seddon wasn't going to be carrying on, they were, there was serious talk about badging the Iveco Stralis as I said in Atkinson down there but uh, nothing right. ever nothing ever quite uh, that's a shame quite came of it yeah that would have been an interesting anomaly there a, reg- yeah. a regional badge a- variation on the trucks yeah, yeah but bit- Cornwall was like the capital for said and Atkinson's purely down to panel commercials for many <laughs> years there were a good good number of them going down there yeah I would love to know if there's any uh, still working out there especially a tractor unit but I mean it must be it's now diff- it is genuinely difficult now to get bits for the ERFEC and the Ford and Alpha. You've got to the guys yeah. that are still running them tend to have a yard full of breakers, and also they've been but they've been like bulk buying parts for years. You know, anytime anything comes up, these guys would buy job lots of parts, and they've like stockpiled them for a long, long yeah. time. But of course, it's getting more and more difficult um, for people with ultra-low emission zones coming in and stuff like that. That The the pool of British trucks, naturally, I mean, it, we're getting on for, we're getting close to 20 years since ERF and Foden mm-hmm. closed up. So yeah, I'm going to start doing some serious hunting uh, over the summer for the British issue because I think we're going to do that one later in the year because I really want to get a comprehensive sort of a collection of what's out there and still working and of course because the nature because these trucks are older it is very regionalized what they do so they don't yeah. tend to go far afield you're not likely to see one trunking up the m6 or the a1m or anything like that you've got to go and no. you've got to locate them locally but um because we've got we know that there's obviously phones and erf still working there's there's a couple of leylands out there as well and, yep. of course, uh, and, the, and of course, the Ford car goes yep, in Norfolk. The Ford car, the Ford car goes in Norfolk. Um, what was the chap? The name of the Ford cargo guy? Roger Hastings. Yeah, he came to the rescue of um, Jem Warren. Um, he who, did. Who's yeah? He 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 helped Jem out because she spoke to me at the Scania uh, winter event, and they, they were they've got oh a, yes they've got a Ford cargo which is used as a float 
for like um, yeah. sort of driving through like parade events that they do and you can't really tell it's a cargo because the cab's off it and everything and it's got like you know it's used for shows but they were completely stuck for parts for a cargo and it was basically they weren't going to be able to use it anymore so I was she said do you know anybody who knows anything about Ford cargos and I was like I know a man who knows a guy who's like better call Saul <laughs> I was like I know a guy who knows a guy you know and it was ultimately Roger who knew someday yeah. who was able to help Jem and she got the part for the Ford Cargo. So woo! Excellent. Good old Roger. Yeah. Top man. That was that was Excellent. that was good stuff. And that was off the back of um, you finding that out and me knowing about those Ford Cargos. So there you go. In a very long roundabout way we helped to get a, um uh, that Ford Cargo float. Uh, back on the road again. Love a job. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Uh, well, you, well, cool. That's a, well, that's us. We'll have a time up on this one and that. Any other business? Yeah, well, tomorrow I finally get to drive a mirrorless Mercedes Arctic. I'm uh, just doing a day for my mate uh, Jeremy Pod on the bulk because he's. Um, I'm just doing some cover for him. So I and I can't believe the truck is four years old. I can't believe they've been the technology's been out that long, and I still haven't had a chance. So oh, I start I started the week driving a mirrorless DAF. I'm going to end my week because I'm doing some I'm doing some classroom based research Friday um, for onward teaching that I've been sort of getting into for a while. I'm just going to go and sit in on a class. So I'm going to end my week driving a mirrorless Mercedes so I can compare the DAF and the Merc and see what I sort of come up with. Although I'm no doubt plenty of other people have already done that anyway. Yeah, well, I think you'll, so, pro- um, you'll probably find that that'll be the very earliest version of the Mercedes mirror cam, and obviously they've updated it a bit now, so you'll probably find that the DAF is ahead of it in that respect. But to be fair to Merck, well, Merck yeah. they do Although seem the, to have improved things since yeah, then. And, you the, know, and, the so. Merck, and the Merck one tracks you going backwards, unlike the DAF at the moment. So right, yeah. there is that as well. Yeah, mm. so... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So it should be a nice little day to, to end end the week. Yeah, cool. Get some do it do as a team truck and driver update what you're driving or something. Yeah, that be that would yeah, be we'll do. good. We'll get something in in there for that. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. I shall catch up with you again soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dougie. Always a pleasure, mate. Speak to cool. you soon. All right. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers, mate. Tada. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver Podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month.